Welcome, everyone, to Polar Opposites. Spencer Byers, Cajun Theru, Danny Castle, thank you for joining us. And Cage, we got to start off hot. WNBA Game 3 in the books. You and I did it live, well, relatively live. And the Liberty finally showed us something a little bit different. The Liberty come out 87-73 winners in Game 3 in Brooklyn. And we'll now get ready for a Game 4 on Wednesday night. You and I will be covering that game as well. Mm-hmm. So that is a big plus for you and I and for basketball fans alike because we finally get to see a series that's not been a complete whitewash, even though the final score is a little lopsided <coughs> of the New York Liberty for the first time in this series. John Quell Jones had a game-high 27, or I guess I should say team-high 27, because Kelsey Plum, who played all 40 minutes of the game, had 29 points for the Las Vegas Aces. But that's not the story case. John Quell Jones' 27 is not the story. Kelsey Plum playing 40 minutes and getting 29 points isn't the story. Cajun, the story, as you know, is Chelsea Gray who got tangled up in late in the fourth quarter and limped off the floor, sort of. She limped off the floor and then was in a very bad way as the game continued, as they showed us the um, the uh, tunnel the back room, the locker room, camera, to the point where she couldn't walk. And she was on crutches at the end of the game. Coach Becky Hammond had nothing to tell the media after the game, obviously, as even if even if she did, she probably wouldn't have said anything. But regardless, so Chelsea Gray is now, I'll say, doubtful to questionable going into game four in Brooklyn. And if Chelsea Gray is not a go, and if Candace Parker has been gone since since mid July, early July, with foot in, with a foot injury, this series could really start feeling the tide turning in favor of the lost or the New York Liberty Cajun. Mm. And I'm literally looking at the replay right now. It looked like it was. It was she was guarding Brianna Stewart in the post. And it was a non-contact injury. And and looking at the vi- looking at the replay of it and what she mouthed after was my foot popped. And based off of that, and based off of the nature of that injury, I would be shocked if he co- if she comes back to the series. I'd be shocked. Which, if I'm not mistaken, Cage, she was your finals MVP pick, implying she had a good game three, of course. One of the guards would have been. One of the guard one one of the guards, either young, gray. Actually, one young gray or plum. I was a little bit undecided on that. Um but yeah, this is a big loss. It's a big loss. And heading into that moment. The Aces, I want to say, went on a mini 5-0 run. And Chelsea Gray missed a three that would have cut the lead down to three. And then she gets injured. So all of a sudden, it went from the Aces having all the momentum in the world to now... The Liberty pulling away, not only the Liberty pulling away at the end of game three, 
but what's their what's Las Vegas's rotation going to look like? That is a massive question that's going to be answered on Wednesday night. As I expect, it's going to start out as Jackie Young, Aja Wilson, Kia Stokes, Kelsey Plum as usual. And coming in for Gray will be a, will be a forward in Alicia Clark, who's their sixth man of the year, or I guess sixth woman of the year, I should say. Um, and they play a three forward, two guard set. And you can argue if Jackie Young's the point guard or Kelsey Plum's the point guard, one of them is going to be ball handling. One of them is going to be ball handling. I think and Becky. Then, I think Becky Hammond did say like Kelsey Plum would take over like the point guard duties. I think they'll split it to be honest. I don't necessarily think it'll be one player. I think Young and Plum will take it down in certain situations, and also depending on who's on the floor. But it will be interesting to see how the bench fixes because they've been basically running a, a six-player rotation. The Aces have in the first two games, with basically it just being Clark, Gray, Plum, Stokes, Wilson, and Young. Without Chelsea Gray and forcing Clark to start, who is going to be the bench player that comes off for the Aces? Do they open up the bench more and play more bench players to give all their players rest, but only give everybody about four minutes of rest total? So only the bench players don't play a whole lot, but they play enough to get the bench or the, the starter some a break. Because again, Kelsey Plum played a, f- a full 40 minutes. Jackie Young played a full 38 and a half minutes and sat the last minute and a half of the game because that's when they pulled the starters. But because they only have 10 bench players and Chelsea Gray got hurt, or 10 players total, and Chelsea Gray got hurt, they didn't have enough players to pull off Kelsey Plum. Who obviously mm-hmm. had a, a game high 29 points in the loss. Kirsten Bell was the player who came on for the Aces as their replacement for Gray. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Kirsten Bell will play a role in game four. And if she does, what kind of role that will be. Because that right now is the worried thing for the Aces. Is what role is the bench now going to play? Well, in this series. Now, this is the dilemma for Becky Hammond and the Aces' coaching staff. You've been so used to playing a tight six-man rotation, six-woman rotation. I'll play, uh, uh, at least during the finals. And that was the case for much of this, much of game three. Is the bench going to even be ready to tack on those minutes? Because they haven't played meaningful game time. By meaningful game time, I'm not talking about like garbage time in the end of game one or game two and game three. But meaningful game time, especially against a lineup that's as talented as the Liberty is. It's a serious concern. It's it's cause for concern. And um, we were talking about it like the Aces had all the momentum in the world heading into game three. We both thought it was going to be a sweep, and now we're talking. I'm like, can it's a it's if Chelsea Gray is out for the rest of the series, this could very well be a real possibility that the Liberty could be the only the first ever team to come back from an 0-2 deficit. Again, the stats are 0-17 in the playoffs. Our teams down 0-2. 0-8. Our teams in the finals being down 0-2. This series is 2-1, still in favor of the Aces. They have two more chances if they need a second chance, technically a third chance, in Game 5. 
They already need a second chance going into game four on Wednesday in Brooklyn. But again, game five will be back in Las Vegas. So that also may play a factor going back to Las Vegas for game five if we if the series so needs it. But another thing to mention, Cage, is the Aces were very inefficient on, on offense. And that was because of the Liberty's great defense. But Jackie Young, two for nine from the floor. Aja Wilson, four for 16 from the floor. Chelsea Gray before her injury, four for 12 from the floor. Alicia Clark from the floor was three for eight, but was one for five from three. And see so that, and I think it was continued inefficient cage. Only one, again, who wasn't inefficient was the girl with 29 points, and that's Kelsey Gray, or Kelsey Plum, pardon me. And, I meant, and I'm glad you mentioned um, Alicia Clark. I think she's going to be the swing. I think she's going to be the main X factor now. Because Sex Woman of the Year has not had a great final scoring-wise. Now she has to be that scorer. And now she has to take on a more more responsibility on the offensive end and score more due to Chelsea Gray's potential absence. If the first three games are any indication, the Aces are in big trouble. Well, not only that, Cage. The we talk, we keep talking about the the guard scoring because it was it's been so in favor of the Aces in the first two games, even in Game Three, the I'll say three uh three guards. Even though I don't really think Benajelani plays guard, she technically is included in the three. Benajelani had twelve points. Inescu had nine points. Vandersloot had twelve points, which was easily her best game of the finals, in my opinion, for Courtney Vandersloot. You know, that's still really, that does not outscore Kelsey Plum, Chelsea Gray, or Jackie Young, even though, you know, Plum's 29 is the heavy lifting of the three guards of the of the two sets. But still, this now means Alicia Clark will move into the, the Chelsea Gray, not roll, but into that spot as the third guard. And will those sets of guards and Young, Plum, and Clark be able to continue to outplay Vandersloot, Inescu, and Laney enough to open up Aja Wilson because they didn't in Game 3. And you can tell by Aja Wilson shooting 25% from the field, having 16 points and 11 rebounds, and being thoroughly outplayed by her <laughs> counterpart, MVP, Brianna Stewart, who shot 50% from the floor had 20 points and 12 rebounds and four assists with a couple blocks to boot. And she wasn't even the best player on the floor. Not for her own team, for sure. Jonquil Jones, who had 27 points and eight rebounds, who shot 66% from the field and a cool 57% from three. With three and, blocks to boot. And you got to give the Liberty a ton of credit because even before Chelsea Gray, the topic of the day, the topic that's overshadowed like it's unfortunate that Chelsea Gray's injury has kind of kind of overshadowed how great the Liberty played um they played a lot better and we could we saw it live on the defensive end we were we were incensed during game two at the amount of cuts to the basket especially on the back door that the liberty were allowing. It became comical. Game three, we did not see that. They tightened things up tremendously, and it starts with the guards. Yanescu and Vandersloot, not really known for being the greatest defensive players, but they really 
dug their heels in and took pride in their defensive assignments. Obviously, Jones and Stu- John Quill John Quill Jones made her presence known on the inside on both ends of the floor. But I said this before. Brianna Stewart does not, Brianna Stewart did not need to be the best player offensively, but she had to be the but she had to be close to the best player on both ends of the floor. Yesterday she was. And combined with Laney's Laney getting into double figures and shooting efficiently from the field, it were everything that went right for them did. Aside from maybe the free throw shooting, which eight for sixteen, that that that's not not always a recipe for winning games. But they did everything else so much so much better, like limiting the ace to thirty three percent shooting. And for the first two games of the series, it was the script the script was basically flipped, like you mentioned yesterday. They made more threes. They were more efficient from behind the arc. They shot fifty two percent from the field. And these and the script was flipped in terms of the assists. We were talking about how beautiful the Aces ball movement was. Well, the Aces seemed like they were stuck in quicksand and playing one-on-one for much of game three. Meanwhile, the Liberty had 28 assists on 33 made field goals. So it's like the script was the script was flipped from game two to game three. AKA the script got lost somewhere in the middle cage and uh, Liberty picked us up and went, Oh, huh, this looks really good. Let's try this. <laughs> but it sounds like to me, Cage, sounds like somebody lost their script there in Las Vegas and somebody picked it up on the New York plane and went, what the hell? Oh, maybe we should try this guys. This looks pretty good. And it worked out, didn't it? For it the did. New York Liberty. It really but I think did. that's going to basically put a bow cage on our, WNBA finals conversation, but I think there's one more thing we got to talk about. What? You and I both predicted sweeps in this series. And I and I mean that by saying you and I both predicted that the Aces would win game three in our last episode on Thursday. Now going into game four, with Chelsea Gray's injury still to us unknown, it might be clarified by the time this is posted, but at this point at noon on Monday, October 16th, we don't know if Chelsea Gray is going to be eligible to play or if she's done, if Candace Parker is going to come back or if she's still done, and what the Las Vegas Aces lineup is going to look like. But as of right now, Cajun, Game 4, Liberty Aces, still in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. Who do you got between New York and Las Vegas? And I'm going along the lines that Gray's not going to play for Game 4. I'm also going on that assumption. Um, I think the Liberty take care of business on home court. Make the Aces 0-4 at Barkley Center this season. And they take, and, I, and I'm going to say this is going to be, be a 20-point victory. Because Gray's presence on the offensive end is going to be too much for the aces to overcome at least for game four especially on the road that's now, so much that's what? so much to ask for that is so much to ask for from like plum and young and then asia wilson on top of that you don't really run a deep bench you don't really run a deep bench 
as well. So fatigue's definitely going to play a role. And I think, and I think, the Liberty are going to. Liberty kind of figured something out. They played physical on the defensive end and really got Stewart as well as Jones going a lot more on the inside. I think they're going to ride that. They're going to roll with that recipe for game four. And it'll be a blowout without, without Chelsea Gray's offensive production. I don't think, and I don't think at least for game four, Alicia Clark is going to make up for that. Well, KJ thinks it's going to be a blowout as you just had 20 points in favor of the Liberty over the Aces. So we'll say 20, 20 and a half, Cajun. We'll say 20 and a half. For betting purposes. For betting purposes. I, Cage, I got a feeling. And now I might be completely off on here, and that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with losing my mistakes. We'll meet me on Thursday if I'm wrong. That's fine. Well, but I think the what, Aces, go ahead. Well, based off of what I think you're going to say, one of us, it's going to eat crow. Yeah, one of us is going to be stark wrong. Or both of us could be, because the Liberty could win a hard-fought game. But I'm going to pick the Aces to win. I think that the Aces know that Chelsea Gray is hurt, and I think she'll be there on the bench trying to hype up her teammates. Candace Parker on the bench, hyping up her teammates. I think someone on the bench who hasn't got a whole lot of minutes is going to step up. I think Alicia Clark's going to come with her shooting boots on for the first time in this series. And I think A.J. Wilson will not shoot 25% for to get from the field. I think A.J. Wilson's going to have a lot better game. And I think with all of those things together, I think that the Aces are going to beat the Liberty. And I think it will be a six-point win for the Aces. And it'll be like... 86-80. Something around there. Well then. So I got See, Aces. I got Aces kind of close, but I think the Aces pull it away. I think they just find a way to win. See, I got Liberty 90-70. to 70. I and can't believe that, Cage. You said 20-plus, man. 20-plus in a finals game. After all the whitewashes we've seen in the series already for both teams now at this point. Well, fair enough. Like, in, all three games have been, well, first of all, all three games have been decided by double digits. Well, at the final score, might I add. Yeah. But there's just something about, like, the bench not play. Aside from Alicia Clark, nobody on that on that Aces bench has really played meaningful game time during the finals. And I think that's a lot to ask for. Which means you're gonna have you're gonna have people like Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, Asia Wilson. What one of those three or two of those three, or maybe even three of those four with Alicia Clark now in the mix, playing the full 40, 40 minutes and the fatigue's gonna play a role. I think I think with that combined fatigue combined with like bench inexperience, at least on this stage, at least on this stage this year. And the fact that you're playing in New York at Barclays Center with the Liberty relatively healthy, I think it might pay off. I think somebody, I think somebody is going to step up from that bench, but I think it's only going to happen in Game Five. 
Well, I think it happens a game early, and I think my prediction after game one is right, that if they lose game two, Liberty will not be back in Vegas for game five. I'm sticking with it. Even with the Chelsea Gray injury, I'm sticking with that prediction, and I've got the <laughs> aces by six, and I said 86, 86-80, uh, but I think you could go a little bit higher, and if you want to say 96-90, I wouldn't argue with you, but I still think it's going to be close, and then the aces are going to find that gear when they need it, and they're going to be able to either pull away late, or they'll have it early, and they'll just keep it like they have throughout this series. Normally, the team that's led, you know, kind of early has been able to keep it. Game one is the only exception, but that first half was really close, and Marine Johannes kind of kept it close. It wasn't that the Liberty played well as Marine Johannes just hit some circus shots. Kind of the team that you felt like was leading throughout the game won it. Liberty dominated game three. Aces dominated game two, except for the second quarter. Aces dominated the second half of game one. First half was close because of Johannes. So... Again, the start in game four is going to be really important for both teams. I just feel like the Aces are going to have that, that you know, more experienced hand. And I just think they're going to be able to find a way to win. And I know that's not a good description of what I'm, what I'm saying, but sometimes it just goes down to finding ways to win. And I think this Aces team is going to find the way to win game four and not be forced back to Vegas on Friday. Well, they have that urgency and desperation factor on their side now. Maybe not so much in game three, but they definitely have it now. Game four, you don't want to be forced to a winner, winner take all game five. And on top of that, you you more than likely might not have Chelsea. More than likely won't have Chelsea Gray. For either game four or five. Exactly. But and now we will move on. So Ace is Liberty. Recap. And now jump is done. I'll now move on to the NBA, where ESPN, who doesn't love good old ESPN, they put out their list of the top 100 players in the NBA. We're not talking 100 to 50. We're not going to talk 50 to 10. We're going to talk about the top 10. So going from 10 to 1, we'll start off with Anthony Davis as number 10 of the ESPN list, Cage. Data Davis? Data Davis is number 10. Moving up from number 20, might I add. Mm-hmm. Number 9, LeBron James. Moving down from number 6, so 38-year-old LeBron James is still a top 10 player in the NBA, even it's with all the of, injuries. It's kind of amazing to think, like, in sp- this being his 21st season. And him, being in the, and, and him being a top 10 player, that's actually... That speaks that speaks to how well he's taking care of his body, his longevity. Even though he's missed some, he's missed a lot more games during his tenure with the Lakers. It's well, that's really, to be expected. Let's be honest. That's, that's to be expected. It's really highlighted the work he's put in his game and like into his craft too. So shout out to LeBron. Number eight. Shea Gilgis Alexander, Cajun Theory with Andy Castle's most recent first round pick in fantasy. Shea Gilgis Alexander, number eight, moving up 40 spots from 48 to number eight on the ESPN top 10 list of best NBA players going into the season. And he does it on both ends of the floor. Like, he'll average 31 a game and still get you a steal and a block per game. One of the rare two way players 
in the this game has to offer. And might I argue, he might be more in shape. He's more in shape because of the FIBA World Cup than some of the some of his other peers in the NBA too. So he's going to have an advantage from the get go. Kevin Durant, number seven, moving up from moving up from number eight somehow. So somehow Kevin Durant at thirty five or thirty four, turning thirty five, or no, he just turned thirty five. Uh, Kevin Durant, seven on the top ten list. Newest Phoenix Sun. Mm-hmm. Of course, then you cage and you got Jason Tatum, number six, moving up for number seven. Going to be a top five player next year. Is one of the best Celtics. Mm-hmm. Number zero. Yep. Moving up to number five, staying at number five, Steph Curry. Number four, moving down from number three last year, Luka Doncic. Number three, moving up from number four, Mr. MVP himself, Joel Embiid. Number two, Nikola Jokic is number two and stays pat at number two. And then you got to think, well, who's above Nikola Jokic number one? It is the guy who they ranked number one last year. (laughs) It is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who stays at number one. I don't know what Jokic could have done. I really don't know what Jokic could have. Uh, average 30, Cajun. I think the answer is average 30. It seems like that's what they're trying to tell me here in this description of why he's how he could get to number one. Was he needs to average 30. He needs one to person, shoot more. One person has his own flaws and warts in closing time. The other, Although that person is better than Jokic come on the defensive end, but Jokic is no slouch on the defense. It's not like Jokic is a net negative on the defensive end like that. He's he's not James Harden. Is what you're trying to say. He's not James Harden. He's not you know Jordan Poole. He's not. He's got not. He's not got no effort on defense. He's just not as athletic as Giannis Antetokounmpo. Let's just be honest. Jokic is not yeah. as athletically talented as Giannis, but still gives effort on defense. So he doesn't get cooked on defense. And offensively, Jokic is miles ahead of him. Miles ahead of him. There's literally there, it's literally not a weakness in Jokic's offensive game. Well, let's think about it, Cajun. Comparing them offensively, Giannis can't really shoot, is good from inside, and is good driving. Jokic can pass better, can shoot better from three and from the mid-range. He is a post player, so he's really good at the rim as well. Giannis probably has him at the rim, but still. He's probably not a good as driver as Giannis because, again, the explosiveness isn't there. But other than, like, driving, really, and maybe at the rim because of Giannis is having to be near the rim to be able to score, y- mm-hmm. y- Jokic has got him beat. Yep. Yep. And one player bowed out of the postseason and his flaws got exposed to a degree in spectacular fashion with a first-round exit at the hands of the Miami Heat. The other player... Literally, basically said, screw you to the detractors and won a, not only an NBA title, but finals MVP as well. There's the ESPN broke a unspoken, unwritten or unspoken code. What I think is like an unwritten code. You're the best player on the best team in the league. You win finals MVP. 
you're a top three talent already. If you if you if you just let if you just led your team like that to the NBA Finals and win it all, you gotta start off number one. Jokic did every everything possible to have that number one ranking, and I would argue like. And I would argue he probably should have won MVP that season. Like he should have been like a three-time MVP. Had um, cough, cough. Kendrick Perkins, Perkins not started a, a uh, so-called race debate. Um, also did not help that Denver kind of coasted through the re- through the end of the regular season as well. Um, and you're still number two. Like what has y- like. Giannis has something to prove. Jokic has nothing to prove. I'm like, why is this even a debate in which Giannis is one and Jokic is two? Like, I don't even think Giannis should be two. I think he should be three. Would you put Embiid two because of the MVP? Because of the MVP, I would put Embiid two and then Giannis three. Because he's he's got stuff. He's got a lot to prove. First of all, his offensive game has to diversify more. Then there's the adjustment process with Damian Lillard. And with a new coach, new coach too. Jokic is already established. Why is this even a debate on whether somebody's number one or number two? ESPN's tripping on some some I copium. Guess, yeah, it's copium. Sure, copium. And we're gonna say it like that because if I say anything else, like you're gonna have to say a lot of bleeps after that. Uh, so. I, I, I'm gonna have to put a lot of censorship in this case. And you know what? No, I can do a bunch of editing work. I appreciate that. It's a surprise. It's a surprise that 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 has not happened yet. Well, you know we haven't upset you that much, Cage. We'll get there one day, Cage. We'll get there one day. The Raptors will suck after one game, and all of a sudden, Cage and I got like nine bleep machines, and I gotta, you know, I gotta be looking at every screens and stuff, and I gotta, like run out of the room, you know, and try to cool you off. Cool me off. The minute Jalen Brown dribbles with his left hand and has another ten turnover performance, we gonna be no, hearing a ton of don't. Don't you speak that into existence, you. <laughs> Don't you speak that into existence. Jalen Brown won't be doing nothing of the sort with this new $60 million contract. You, you, quiet your mouth, sir. You're right, because he's only going to catch and shoot and not have the opportunity to dribble. I, I don't want to hear you right now. Drew Holiday is going to be dribbling the ball, okay? We got Porzingis, we got Drew Holiday. Boston's winning the chip this year, okay? Mark it down. I'm not getting no tattoo because I'm not an idiot, but mark it down. Celtics in the right, finals for a, a tattoo like third that, year. I'm- if you ever have a tattoo like that and they lose, I'm clowning you for it. Well, I'm immediately getting it covered, so you wouldn't even know I had it. You know, I'm, I'm waiting until they win it to show you, and then if they lose it, I just get it covered. And all of a sudden, oh, I got a new tattoo. Woo! But one other thing I want to mention, Cage, is we, you, you, we kind of went off there about Giannis being one over Jokic, because I think that's objectively obvious that the two-time MVP who should be a three-time-in-a-row MVP for the first time ever, Nikola, or first time in a while at least, Nikola Jokic. Should have been the number one player in the NBA Finals MVP champion Nikola Jokic, but moving into the 20s, and I know I didn't say we weren't, weren't going to mention 50 to 10. Yeah. The only reason oh. why we're gonna, the only reason why we're gonna, is number the guys to move fall out of the top 10 list from last year. <laughs> number nine was Devin Booker, or number 10 was Devin Booker. Pardon me, he's now 11. John Morant was nine, he's now 35th. And the reason why I'm mentioning the top 50 to 10 list is because Carl Anthony Towns, who was 
13th last year on the list, is now 20th. The guys directly behind Carl Anthony Towns on the top 50 list go as follow. Tyrese Halliburton, DeMontis Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox, Kawhi Leonard, and then Siakam's there, Drew Holiday's there, B. Ingram's there, Laurie Markkinen's there, and then I keep going, Cajun. Where is he? I know he's there. Number 32, Jalen Brunson. I don't know how Jalen Brunson is 32. He moves up a lot of spots. How he's 32, Cajun, I don't know. He might he might be the most disrespected star out there. He averaged 24 points in the regular season on amazing efficiency. In the postseason, he averaged almost 28 a game for the New York Knicks. Yes, he has been a more sixth-man player in the NBA, but you cannot say him averaging 24 a night as the main option in New York isn't a massive plus. And, of course, you've got Kyrie at 34 and Jaw at 35. That's off the court is why they're so low. Obviously, talent-wise, Kyrie and Jaw are a lot better than the 35th and 34th best player in the NBA. But availability for those two has really knocked them down the list. But you a guy what? like Triple J, Cage, 31, Jaron Jackson Jr., how is it a defensive player of the year at 23 below Cat, who defensively is a black hole? Talk about a negative Double negative for Cat Carl Anthony Towns on the defensive end. I mean, that sounds about right, though. Cat's the so-called best big in the league. I think he's best shooting cool. big. Yeah, give me a break. I think he's kind of underrated, if that was, in my honest opinion. Nah, nah, nah. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. He might be the best player in the Dominican Republic, but that's not saying much. <laughs> but yeah. um, You're telling that. You're telling me. Cage, I, I want to put this in perspective. Okay, I want to put this in perspective. So now I'm going to make sure I click on this because this doesn't look right, but I'm going to make sure I, I, I get this done. So, Cajun, in 29 games last year, Carl Anthony Towns played 29 games last year. He averaged 20.8 points a game, his lowest since his rookie season. He shot 36%, his lowest since his second season in the NBA. From the field? From the, from the three-point line. Yes. Also, three-point line. I was about to say from the field. I'm like, from the field, he shot 49%. His second time in his career shooting below 50% from the field. He averaged eight rebounds. His lowest rebounds in, in, in a season total is eight rebounds a game. Four, four and a half, 4.8 assists, almost five assists a game, puts him at his highest assist rates, but he had his lowest block rates and his around career average and assists. So basically every single stat except for passing Cajun went down in only 29 games of play. So in well, a small sample size, everything went down. Well, you're forgetting one. You're forgetting one. And I can't believe I'm defending Carl Anthony Towns on this. But you're forgetting one big factor in all this is the acquisition of Rudy Gobert and the fact that Towns had to play a different role. Now, it doesn't excuse, like, the scoring drop-off, but it kind of does excuse, like, the rebounding drop-off because Gobert's in the play, in the paint. Um, he had to play more He had to play more on the outside. But the, uh, so, so you're telling me, Cajun, a better in-the-paint in presence is why his three-point percentage dropped, why his field goal percentage dropped, why his points overall dropped? Really? That, is that the hill we're dying on right now? I'm not saying that Gobert, you know, didn't take away from his rebounding stats, but everything else going down? Everything else going down? 
and he's above Tyrese Halliburton, who you and I love for the, our 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 shock team in the East, the Indiana Pacers. Demontis mm-hmm. Sabonis, who led with the Aaron Fox, the guy just behind him, the Sacramento Kings, their first playoff run since we were children. The Aaron Fox, who I think averaged what thirty a night, or darn near close to it. Oh, sorry, he only averaged 25 a game. Sorry. Sorry, guys. He only averaged 25 a game with six assists and four rebounds. And he is below Carl Anthony Towns. And DeMontis Sabonis, who is almost a walking triple-double, is below DeMontis, or below Carl Anthony Towns. Like, well, I just do not get it. And again, well, I am honestly, I'll be completely honest with you, I am not a fan of Carl Anthony Towns, if you couldn't already tell. <laughs> so I will openly admit that there is bias here, but how is Jalen Brown at 19? <laughs> who I do think is high, in my opinion. I love Jalen Brown, but 19th best player in the league kind of feels high to me as a Celtics fan. But still, he's a top 25 player in the league, in my opinion, Jalen Brown is. Anyway, you're telling me Jalen Brown is just above Carl Anthony Towns? No. At 19 no. to 20? Like that just, that don't feel right to me, Cage. That don't, that don't feel right. Don't feel just. It don't feel just. So that's all I was going to say, Cage. I, I'm um, a little – I'm disgusted that Carl Anthony Towns is somehow 20th on a list when he played 29 games, had his career lows in basically every statistical category, and he's above young guys like Halliburton, Sabonis, Fox, Jalen Brunson who's playing really well, even Drew Holiday who got stuck at 26th the second straight year. B. Ingram, who I think you and I both like, Brandon Ingram. But he's injury-prone. But he's injury-prone. Mike Cat is now, apparently. You know, like it. Defensive player of the year, Jaron Jackson Jr., big fan of his game. You know, and obviously I'm not, I'm not trying to compare the players because I, I think Cat is more polished offensively than Jaron Jackson Jr. is. Defensively, obviously it's all Jaron Jackson Jr. But just don't feel right, Cage. It just don't feel right. Well... Let me go without saying this. It was kind of an in- incomplete season for Towns because a you played you played twenty nine games. That's one thing. B. B. It's an adjustment play process. Putting somebody like Rudy Gobert in the in the mix when you played the five year entire career and have, and are kind of forced to being played and are now forced to playing the. To, to actually playing the four, but she was never a good defender in the first place. In the first place at the five, but chasing power forwards around, especially the power forwards that are in this NBA, recipe for disaster. Um, so it was kind of an incomplete season for Towns, and I think he's going to have a lot better of a. Se- he's going to have a much better season, and I think it's going to show. But with that being said. There is no way in hell Halliburton, Sabonis, Fox, Brunson. There's no way in hell those four are below, those four should be below. At least those four should be below Carl Anthony Towns. It's it's and, a, and, it's bla- it's a it's blasphemous. And 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 with and that going on the same cage, you've also got Kyrie and Ja who are only below him technically because of off the court. Because talent-wise, it's not close. <coughs> not close for either Ja or Kyrie. Absolutely. So, Cat being inflated, as usual. 
because he goes on podcasts and says, I'm the best big in, big in the league. I re- revolutionized the shooting forward position. Yeah, go kick rocks. Go back to DR, will you? And I, and I mean that, Carl Anthony Towns. Go back to the Dominican Republic. Go play basketball in the Dominican Republic. Maybe yeah. you'll be appreciated there. Damn. Damn, 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 damn. I've had, had enough. I've had enough. I've had enough to hear. Cajun, I feel like a parent. I've had enough to hear with Carl Anthony Towns. I've had enough to hear. I'm on, I've heard enough of his whining and his, you know, I'm this, I'm that. Okay, well then show it then, Cat. Show it. Don't tell me what you are. Show me what you are. Because all you've shown me is that you're a prima donna on a bad basketball team. All you've shown me. And, he, and, he, and he's not even the best player on that team. And, and also, let's be honest, Cage. He went to a team that had a better power forward in Kevin Love. Kevin Love was a better Timberwolf than Carl Anthony Towns, who, in my opinion, you can you can look at the resumes. Kevin Love's a better player in Minnesota, had better stats, good three-point shooter. Like, he's not even the best power forward they drafted in the I recent think, I, I think Towns got drafted the season after Love got traded, though. Yeah, same thing. Doesn't really matter, does it? Mm, fair enough. Same team, same role. Supposed to be this, the you know star of the franchise. Kevin Love was way more of that than Carlin Towns ever been. And they they bullied Love, saying Love wasn't good enough. Love couldn't win win with that team. Love couldn't you know do all of these things. And Cat doesn't get any of that treatment. Cat doesn't get treated like Kevin Love did. With you can't lead a team, you can't win in the playoffs. Why the Timberwolves still suck? When it's just Kevin Love playing with a bunch of bums in Minnesota. Cat's got Ant. Cat's got, you know, uh, Rudy Gobert, who you and I can talk about Rudy Gobert and all his problems offensively. But still, you got all-stars, Cat. You've got really good players, Cat. Jaden McDaniels. Like, what's your excuse? He doesn't have it. He doesn't like, have it. I, I'm sick. I get, Cajun, and I guess this is just more my point why I'm so I, – I guess I'm getting so riled up here is I'm sick and tired of the narrative getting put on players of you can't win, you can't do this, you can't do that, when it's not their fault. Like, could you really blame Kevin Love for not winning in the playoffs with those rosters in Minnesota? Bro, like, best, can you really blame Kevin Love? His, his, his second option was Nikola Pekovic. Where is he now? I think he's in prison. I think he's I think he's one of the guys who got I, – I, if I'm not mistaken, and I do generally mean that if I'm not mistaken – I think he got caught in a in a drug ring, but I'll actually quickly check that before I start I'm slandering gonna, a player. I'm literally gonna do that right now. Well, you do that right now, but like, you know, like wh- what are we talking about right now? Like Kevin Love never had a supporting cast until he went to Cleveland, and then he won stuff. Cat has, you know, a guy who's better than him and, and Anthony Edwards, who might be a be- like a way better player in the end. You got Rudy Gobert, who is an accomplished player in the NBA. As much as we clown on him because he can't score outside of like 12 feet, you know they've had some really good bench players. Jaden McDaniels, as you mentioned, like Cat doesn't have the same excuses that Kevin Love had, and people still do not treat him the way they treat Kevin Love. They do yeah. not treat him that way, and I just they don't get it. I don't understand. Like, how do you get away with that and think you're, you know? Like, I don't know what, I don't know who his media friend is at ESPN that put him at 20, but they should be canned because that's ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. just stupid. Just stupid. Well, like, how, how does he play 29 games and only lose seven spots when John Morant missed, I think, 
I, I would say he played way more than 29 games, and he dropped like a stone because he's going to miss 25 this year because of his waving around guns and stuff. It's ridiculous. And Cajun, was I right? Did you find anything? He has links to it, but I don't think he's in prison. Oh, okay. See, I thought he'd been arrested. I guess I just I, – I, I conflated the two of saying he has been linked to drug trafficking in Serbia? See, Serbia? He's been, linked. he's been linked to that. Okay. So uh, I was right – I was on the right track. It was like I, I, I switched tracks by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, but you did mention – you didn't mention somebody. You didn't mention a name in which his situation has left me incensed. Jalen Brunson, great stats, even better in the postseason. Great debut season with New York. Got him through the first round for the first time in God knows how long. He was not an All Star, even with the injury replacements. For crying out loud, by the way. Uh, hold, uh, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. And wasn't even named to the All-NBA team. There was actually a New York Nick who was named over him for both of those. And that was Julius Randle. Like, what? The same Julius Randle who's so inconsistent when it matters the most? The same Julius Randle who... Who alternates a great season with an inconsistent season right after? That Julius Randle? Like, and to think that Brunson's still at 32, even after he has proved himself, even after he has proved himself in light of all the disrespect. Because let's be real here when Brunson signed that deal, I believe it was, um, I gotta take a look at this. Uh, l- let me see how what that contract is. Four year, a hundred and four million dollar contract with the Knicks. And you and I were hearing the noise of how of that being a massive overpaid by the Knicks. You could argue that's the best value deal in the NBA right now. And he's still getting disrespected, even on his own team, like. Come on, man. What are we doing? As the great Rodney Dangerfield said, Cajun, just no respect. No respect at all. No respect. I can't believe he wasn't even named an all-star. That, that was so kind of ridiculous. You had so many injury replacements, and he 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 was he and he wasn't on the top on the top of your minds? Like, come on. So so, so like <laughs> Especially with Adam Silver out here looking like Mr. Planters. Well, Cage, we're going to quickly move on. As before, you and I go off the banana boat one more time about a player we think is being either disrespected or way too much respect, depending on what side of the fence you're on. Uh, fantasy, something you and I do, of course, because we are sports <laughs> fans. Everyone, I think well, most sports fans do fantasy, depending on you know what you believe between team, like your favorite team, and then cheering for fantasy players and. And the duality of that, you know, hey, he can score, but no one else can score on that team because they're playing against the Raptors. But I need him to score because I need him to. I need. I need fantasy points. You know, Cage. Uh-huh. I think you. I think you definitely know that feeling. Yep. Um, obviously, me for the Celtics, but regardless, regardless, um, Victor Wembanyama, the 
I say wild card in most fantasy drafts, Cage. You took him in the third round. You reached for him in the third round of your fantasy draft. Yours, and I'll quickly explain fantasy. So if you don't play fantasy, respect, by the way, you pick you pick either categories or head-to-head. So head-to-head, point-wise, is just total points. And the league you play in decides what, what stats mean, what points, and players equal total points, and whatever your total is versus your opponent's total is who wins that week. Categories is you have eight categories, Cage? Yep. Nine. You have eight categories. Nine. Nine? That's right. You do pick nine. So you have nine categories, like points, assists, rebounds, blocks, steals, etc. Nine different stats that your team has to accumulate to outpoint your other your opponent. You technically can still tie, though, because you can tie a couple categories, win a couple, lose a couple, and still have equal amounts. But it still is normally the fact of you want to win at least five of the categories of the nine. So normally Cajun, for example, because he does categories, I do points. Cajun will draft guys to dominate certain categories, rebounding points, blocks, etc. So he knows he's going to win those categories. They're already in, in, in his mind. Those categories are locked. So then he can kind of lose a couple of categories and still be able to win at the end of the week. Am yeah. I right, Cajun? Pretty much. You can't really win every category. It's kind of impossible. So you usually want to pick a couple categories you want to be really good at. Like in hockey, you want to be really good at goals or assists and kind of let a couple other, you know, go wayside so you can win a couple key categories to win the week. Anyway, so Cajun, you drafted Wembenyama in your third round of your most recent fantasy draft. I won't be drafting teams until Monday when you and I do our season preview and talk about where where, where we put teams going into the season. Because, again, the season starts. So our episode is on Monday next week. The next day, on Tuesday, the 24th, the NBA season starts. So on the 23rd of October, I'll be drafting my fantasy team because I want no injuries to be ghosted. Because, Cajun, there is nothing worse than drafting a team now, and in one week, half your team's hurt. And you're like, well, this is great. My team's ruined. So mm-hmm. I wait till the last moment to draft my team. I just drafted my hockey <laughs> team day before the season started. I'm going to do the same thing for the NBA. But Cage, again, you reached for Wembenyama in the third round. Do you think that's going to continue across other leagues as more leagues get drafted, Cage? Do you think he'll move up in the rankings? Or do you think people are going to wait because he's a rookie and he's going to move down the rankings? I think he's going to move up. Because talent-wise, he's got first-round talent. Only question is, like, how is his body going to hold up? But you can say that for a lot of players. What I saw against the what I saw against the Heat. Now, granted, they didn't play a lot of guys. But twenty three points, four rebounds, four assists, three blocks, ten of fifteen from the field, and he was doing stuff that I could not believe what I was seeing. Like, I remember like a possession where like. He literally just yammed on Thomas Bryant with his left hand, and Thomas Bryant just looked shook at the end of it. He did all that in 22 minutes. And now, yeah, he's going to have his struggles at times, like getting used to the pace and space of the uh, pace and grind of the NBA. But there hasn't been a player like Mwenbenyama. He's he's his own unicorn, and it's going to be a mismatch nightmare for other for other 
for teams to deal with because you can play about the center, you can play about small forward, power forward, maybe double him in a, in, in a point guard at times. Because, like, imagine somebody like Fred Van Vliet guarding, guarding Wembenyama. Yeah, he's only he'll only got a foot on him, Cage. Wemby's only got about a foot on uh, Van, Van, Van Vliet. It sounds like an even matchup to me. And he's got the ha- and he's got the handles of a guard too. Like it's scary. it's scary. It's scary and and I think like I I thought he was going to I I'm gonna be honest, I thought he was there was going to be a period of time in which he was going to struggle and like preseason would have shown that. But that hasn't happened. He's really shown now I get it, it's preseason, but he he looks like he belongs. He, he looks like he not only belongs, but he's going to thrive and be dominant. And I'm like, and in my, and my thought process was, he was already projected to go in the fourth round in my fantasy draft. I'm like, if I don't re, and, and keep in mind, I drafted him in the, with my third pick, which was, which ended up being the 24th pick of the draft. If I don't pick him now, somebody's going to. And he and he's got first round and he's got top ten talent, fantasy wise. Let me take a flyer on on him and see where this goes. Because if he's dominant like I think he's going to be, that me reaching might actually be a laughter the other way around. Um, and scary part is this is his first season. He's going to get better. Like we're talking about Jokic being a dominant fantasy threat. Wemben Yama is going to be either be at two or one very soon. Well, he's actually ranked 29th on the ESPN list of head-to-head players. Again, because I do points league, not category. So in the points league category, <laughs> he's 29th. Okay, so he's a little closer in this rankings than he was in your rankings for categories. But you said you want. Uh, I I said you should talk about players that we think you should overdraft or guys you should kind of reach for. Mm-hmm. And Cage, I'm gonna steal your guess right now. I I don't know who you're gonna pick, but I know this guy'd be on the list, so I'm gonna steal it. Okay, Cage, I'm gonna steal a name. Go ahead. From your list, Josh Giddy. Point guard, yeah. shooting guard, power forward on ESPN. He's ranked 52. And with his ability to uh, rebound and assist, and if his offensive game continues to improve, triple-double, City. If you can get a guy like Giddy late, like maybe fourth round, fifth round maybe, and you can get a guy like, I'm not going to say Nikola Jokic, because obviously, but like Devonta Sabonis too, get a couple guys who can have triple-doubles any given night, you're almost set in a points league. Mm-hmm. Or even in a categories league. But still, I think Giddy, because of the versatility and because of the triple the triple double potential, he's a guy you gotta you gotta look at early and go, mmm, I want some of that. Now he might not be a triple double threat, as much of a triple double threat as Josh Giddy is. But I'm going with somebody who I hope is going to get more playing time under head coach Ime Udoka. And that's Alperin Shangun. Um, this guy's shown flashes of scoring in the low block, has dabbled with a three-point shot, 
can rebound the ball, can pass. May not be the greatest defensively, but does get his stat get his stats on this in steals and blocks, which is a big thing either in categories or in p- points because it's a lot more valued there. Um, but the biggest frustration with Rockets fans is, was that former head coach, former Rockets coach, Stephen Silas, didn't really play him thirty minutes a game or played him properly, utilized him properly. Now Yudoka has made it a point that. He is going to utilize Shangun properly, and if he does, you could argue, and and this is this might be a little bit of a little bit of a stretch here. You could argue he he could be a poor man's Jokic, a very very poor man's Jokic. Your to, poor man's Jokic, and to get somebody like that with like, and he's I think he's projected sixty fourth. In categories to get somebody like that is a steal. Another steal in which I think I don't think he should be. Actually, I'm gonna name two more and they're guards. He's 41st, and I don't know why, but De'Aaron Fox. No way he should be 41st with the amount of production that he, that he has. Um, and 57th. And I think his role is going to go up a ton based off of the state of this team. Tyrese Maxey of the Sixers. Depending on what happens with James Harden, if he ends up getting love traded... Maxie, like, so I love that pick, Cage. Um, he, he could easily average 25, at least. Depending on what happens with Harden. Somebody's going to have to step up behind Embiid, and, and Ma- Maxey's proven to do that in previous seasons, and... It would it wouldn't shock me if he averages like twenty six to twenty seven points per game, and he's efficient too. Now the playmaking and the defense might like might lag behind his scoring, but hey, drafting somebody like that within the top sixty, like at fifty seven, hey, I'll take it. Now, Cage, before we move on to, I'm gonna say our last topic, but I'm not even sure we're gonna talk about it in depth today. We might leave that till Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about one rookie we liked. So not necessarily fantasy wise, but going into the season again in about a week's time, the season will start. A rookie that you and I think will be not necessarily starting, but will be in contention for serious minutes, like Andrew Nemhard was last year. Mm-hmm. A player like that, a player that moves into a role. That wasn't expected in the preseason. So a late, a second round pick, maybe late first, but more likely second round pick or undrafted free agent in the NBA right now that you like going into the season. I've got two. Cajun, do you want to go first? You want me to give you one of my two? One of your two. Go ahead. Well, I'll start off with the Charlotte Hornets. Now they drafted a lot of kids this year, a lot of guys, a lot of signed guys, a lot of a lot of draft picks. And my my thing is I'm banking on LaMelo Ball getting hurt again. I know banking on injuries is kind of horrible. But LaMelo Ball is a Band-Aid. He's been consistently injured throughout his NBA career. So expecting that to happen again is not much of a surprise. And I think Amari Bailey, the UCLA point guard, drafted 41st overall this year in the NBA draft. The 19-year-old freshman out of UCLA will be the guy to step up and take a lot of that playmaking and scoring role 
of LaMelo Ball. Obviously, he's known LaMelo Ball, not trying to say he is. But I think Amari Bailey will play a massive role for the Hornets, and I think he will slowly move up the bench and slowly move up the guard rotation to a point where he could be the third guard of the Charlotte Hornets. So Amari Bailey is one of my two picks to be a rookie that will impress this season. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to be honest here. I'm not so sure if he's going to impress in his rookie season. But based off of the situation that this team is in, and the fact that um he is a heck of a talent that dropped very that dropped very low given like his troubles at college given his no struggles way. given his struggles at college no way okay wait cage but before you continue saying cuz i think you and i picked the same player here you're worrying me was he drafted 49th overall yeah well you just go ahead cage and you have it i had two you stole my other one go ahead thank goodness i said thank goodness i started with amari bailey thank goodness so go ahead amari amari bates Amani Bates for the Cleveland Cavaliers, a sophomore. He's 19, too. He's a sophomore at 19 coming out of Eastern Michigan. Man, like, now, sure, he did have his struggles being the top option at Eastern Michigan, like, inefficient scoring and whatnot. But he has earned some rave reviews during preseason and summer league. And not only that, he's young, and Cleveland's got a need. I know they got out of guys like Max Drews or George Niang to kind of fill that small forward hole, but in reality, that's still a need. That's still an area of need for this Cleveland team, who basically is set at the guard position. It remains to be seen what they do with Donovan Mitchell, whether they extend him or not. But you got Garland and Mitchell, and then. You got your own Twin Towers and, and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. But there's a massive hole at that small forward position. Imani Bates has the talent to claim that th- claim that spot at the three. Um, He hasn't been overwhelmed. He's actually, for such an offensive-minded guy, he's really focused in. He's really focused in and zeroed in on defense. Um, And the biggest thing is the Cavs played – at a very slow pace, slow pace last season. And he's helping them play faster. Like being more comfortable off the ball, playing within a, playing within a system. And head coach JV Bickerstaff said he is very underrated as a playmaker and and how high his IQ is. Um, and that he makes the right play. Um, And he's really using his le- and and I know he's six foot nine, he's slender, but he's really using his physical advantages like his length on smaller guards, um. And it's a low pressure environment too. Cleveland, it, it, Cleveland is, um. And like he said, and, and this is what he said: he one percent every day, just trying to get better every day and do what I do. Um. Now he is with a two. Now he is signed on a two-way deal, so he can only be active for up to fifty of the team's eighty-two regular season games. 
But he's got talent, man. And I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Well, you took the word just right out of my mouth, Cage. Um, I will piggyback off what you said by saying I think he will move his way up in the rotation as a forward. I don't know what he'll offer defensively off the off the jump, but offensively, he is a good player. You said inefficient at Eastern Michigan. That's expected when he's the only option on a, on a team that's not very good. But he had some amazing nights for Eastern Michigan. He had a, I think he had a couple 30-point games in college, especially mm-hmm. early in his Eastern Michigan games where he was averaging like 24, 25 a game in college, which is ridiculous when you play two halves of 20 minutes each. Um... And don't be surprised if you see Bates playing shooting guard, playing small forward, playing power forward, moving all into up and down the lineup because of his shooting versatility. He, they will find ways to use him in Cleveland because Bates can shoot and shoot rather well when he's when he when he's consistent. And he's again a young player, so you're going to expect some growing pains. But mm-hmm. he is the youngest rookie on the team. They have four rookies right now to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Bates, who's 19. Pete Nance, who I love from North Carolina, transfer from Northwestern. He's 23. They have another rookie from Wichita State, Craig Porter. He's 23. And they have a, uh, another signed um, draft pick, another free free uh, rookie draft signed after the draft from Washington State, and Justin Powell, who's 22. So Bates is their low-risk, high-reward draft pick. And I think it's going to pay off dividends for this Cleveland Cavaliers team, who's already supremely talented with Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Mobley, Jared Allen, Tristan Thompson. Gotcha. The the great Tristan Thompson. You know, and and et cetera. So I think Bates will move up. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a a one-way deal sometime this season, if not next season. And I think Bates will play himself into an NBA job throughout this year. I genuinely think he will. I think he'll shoot himself into an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he's got the and he's got the right mindset right now, being on a being in the Cavs organization to actually thrive in that role. And Cage, I think the last thing I'm going to end with here, we have one more thing on the dock, but I think we're going to leave that till uh, Thursday because it's not something real pressing right now. It's just more of a more of an info type of story for me in my opinion so we'll we'll talk about Harden and his recent comments about the Philly organization you and I have talked about because I'll 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 say basically Harden is going to play this year for the Philadelphia Philadelphia 76ers how long we don't know if he ends up getting traded we don't know it's more just saying he's going to be playing this season which we expected Cage because him sitting out is just a bad idea it's just a bad idea Mm -hmm. so Cage but I'm going to end with something you don't know anything about so you can kind of sit here and chillax for a minute. So the NCAA top 25 for the coming up men's season was just released. Like literally an hour ago was released. So I'm going to tell you the top 25 list for this upcoming NCAA season, the preseason AP top 25. Okay. The number one team in the nation is the Kansas Jayhawks with three returning starters and easily the best player in the transfer portal in Hunter Dickinson from Michigan. So Kansas being the top pick for number one. Duke is number two. I think recruiting-wise, Duke's number two. I think John Shire's got a lot to prove for those Blue Devils, and we'll see if he can prove it. But we got to see it to believe it. I'm not a big—I don't have a whole lot of stock in Duke right now. I got to see it. 
and I think they were really inconsistent last year with some really good players, and they got to prove it to me, Cage, if they're going to be a top-tier program with John Shire, if they're going to have to look somewhere else to get a real head coach. Purdue's number three with Zach Eady, <coughs> who look to fix their woe of being the second team ever to lose in the one versus 16 matchup in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Michigan State is number four. Their highest ranking in a hot minute, as I look for it, I did just see it. Yes, I thought I saw it. I saw something about Michigan State being ranked top for the first time in forever. But regardless, Michigan State, top five in the nation going into the season. Number five is Marquette. And this one I do have the stat for. Marquette is, and actually there it is, Michigan State is fourth with, uh, with one first place vote, its highest ranking since December 2020. Marquette is fifth, their highest since being ranked third in March 1978. When they were called the Warriors, they're now the Golden Eagles, Cage. So it has been almost 50 years since the Marquette, Marquette Golden Eagles, formerly Warriors, were in the top five. They're now at number five going I'm into the they, they are- they had a certain someone named Dwayne Wade on that t- uh, in Marquette, too. They, he is a Marquette graduate. I don't think he played in 78, though, Cage. I think that's a little early for, for Dwayne Wade. But no, you're during right, Mark. During, during those almost 50 years that they haven't been a top five, they haven't been top five projected. UConn, number six. That's, that's a fair assessment for the reigning national champions, even though they lost some great talent this year. Houston, <coughs> number seven. I'm a big fan of the Houston program. Crichton, number eight, and they're without Ryan Nemhard, brother of Andrew Nemhard, and also Canadian from Aurora. And the reason why I say he's without is because at number 11, I will skip to 11, the Gonzaga Bulldogs are 11, and they got Ryan Nemhard of the transfer portal, which I think will pay dividends because they had Andrew from Florida, and he played for Coach Few in Gonzaga in Spokane. And now he's got Ryan out of Crichton, and I'm a big fan of Ryan, so that should be a great match made in heaven. Number nine's Tennessee. Number 10's uh, FAU, Florida Atlantic University. Number 12 is the Arizona Wildcats. I'm, I'm a big fan of with Coach, um, uh, I think it's Coach Lloyd, former assistant of the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Miami is 13. Arkansas is 14. They had a good, they've had a good couple of teams. Moses Moody, most recently. With a pretty good team, Jordan Walsh, the most recent draft pick by the Boston Celtics, also part of the Arkansas program. Texas A&M is 15. Kentucky is 16. So Kentucky, in all fairness, is kind of low at this point for what normally they are under Coach Calipari. San Diego State University, SDSU, former, uh, obviously, Kawhi Leonard School of Choice, 17. They were undefeated with with um, Malachi Flynn and a couple other senior or junior players and obviously lost that season to COVID. So we never got to see the only undefeated team left in SDSU in the tournament, but that would have been a fun team to see. And then Malachi Flynn, obviously NBA career has kind of gone way to the wayside, but SDSU top 25. Well, they also made the final four too. They did that. They did. Texas is 18. Obviously they were a top 10 to five team last year. And then obviously lost coach beard because of some, off-the-court issues that I won't talk about here necessarily yet because he's not been hired back, and I'm not sure if Coach 
Beard will be back. And I actually, I feel I tell a lie. I feel like he is back in some capacity. I just can't remember who hired him, but I will check that before we move, we move on. North Carolina is 19th. I think that's high for a team that really struggled last year and lost basically all of their good players to North Carolina. So mm -hmm. they're really in a prove-it year as well. Baylor is number 20 with Coach Scott Drew, who I'm a big fan of, and that is a team that always, in my opinion, could move up are the Baylor Bears. You then look at number 21 is Bronny James and UCLA with number one recruit Enfield. And Ronnie James, who will most likely play USC at number 21. Okay. Villanova at 22. Their second year without Coach Wright. We'll see if Villanova can continue to move that program forward. St. Mary's is number 23, a team that had a really good year last year from what I remember. And they're kind of in the mix normally, but not normally top 25 off the jump. Obviously, they're going to have a really good team this year. Some seniors probably coming back. Alabama is 24. Brandon Miller's gone, but Alabama with coach, and I'm going to forget his name, and I shouldn't because he's a really good coach. Coach Oates, very good team. Alabama will be a top 25 team throughout this year, I expect, even without, obviously, number number three pick, or number two pick, pardon me, with the Hornets and Brandon Miller. And number 25 to round us all out is the Illinois Illini. Under Coach Underwood, that's going to be a, another team that's going to be interesting to watch are the Illini with their most recent crop of players being Io DeSumo with the Chicago Bulls, and he has been impressing everybody. And I saw him at Illinois. I knew he was going to be a good player when he was playing for the Illini. But that is the top 25. As some teams on the outside looking in, Wisconsin, Colorado, and UCLA. And the UCLA, again, losing um, a couple big seniors as well. So they'll be probably struggling this year a little bit, but we'll see if they can move their way into the top 25. And then, obviously, I think you know I was a big fan of Kansas State last year with uh, mm -hmm. Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. But the, double, uh, the NCAA season starts on November 6th, so a little bit after the NBA season starts will the NCAA season start for the men. And to mention, Cage, some big teams at some big preseason tourneys. There's a, the, the Champions uh, Classic, the uh, annual preseason kind of tourney they host, one of the many, of course, has number two Duke, play number four Michigan State, and Kansas play 16 Kentucky. So you have number one, number two, number four, and number 16 all at the same tourney. That is going to be some amazing college basketball to watch, and you all, you, we all know I'll be watching that, Cage. Mm -hmm. So we'll I'll definitely be talking about that when it comes. So just thought I'd mention the top 25 list of the NCAA season. That is coming very, very soon for the men as I quickly look for the women's to see if the women's game has a top 25 list out. It does not look like it, but I will mention it if the top 25 list for the women is sent out by Thursday. I will talk about it and then talk about the women's NCAA season coming up as well. 
And I think that'll do it here for us, Cage. Mm-hmm. As for yeah. polar opposite... Oh, go ahead, Cage. Now, you're wondering why we're not having Scrabble board. Um, and I think, Spencer, you mentioned this. We're doing this once a week. Well, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it once a week, so I can do it on Thursday. It's also because trying to find articles right now because the season's about to start is impossible. Like every time I look at the NBA side, I see articles I saw last week, and I'm like, "This is garbage. Why is there not more okay. stuff?" So what are you doing? I'm trying. I'm trying to wait for more articles to kind of ring through. So definitely Thursday we'll have our Scrabble board. But yeah, once a week between one of the two episodes we do, we will have the Scrabble board. So on Thursday there will be the Scrabble board back on the show. We'll talk about James Harden. And the Philly situation that will probably have more clarity as the season gets closer. We'll talk about the women's NCAA season if they have a um, AP rankings out by then. I expect they will by Thursday. But if they don't, we'll, we'll talk about it whenever they release it. And obviously, the WNBA finals continues on Wednesday. We'll cover it on Wednesday. We'll talk about it on Thursday. But for Cajun, Thiru, Danny Castle, I'm Spencer Bice. Thank you so much for tuning in to Polar Opposites. We'll see you on Thursday here on the Outrage Inc.